I was recently reading a story about a shepherd in Scotland who was telling a little bit about his flock. And in Scotland, there are many mountainous areas in which a flock of sheep can find good, fertile food. The challenge is is that to get to such green, lavish grass, oftentimes we require sheep to get into some precarious places. Such sheep would oftentimes have to jump five to seven, maybe even ten feet below them in order to get to the green, lush grass beneath them. The challenge was, is once they were there, they would uh, take a couple of days to eat all the grass, and then they would realize that they were in a predicament that put them way over their head. The challenge is, is that as they got to such green, luxurious grass and it satisfied them, they realized that they couldn't get themselves out of the situation they had gotten themselves in. And so oftentimes what that sheep would do is begin to bleat and distress And it might do so for a couple of days before the shepherd found it. And once the shepherd found that uh, sheep in distress, uh, it would give it another couple of days until it finally came to the end of itself and it laid down where it was. It had been far from the green, luxurious days because they had eaten all that there was. And so now, in despair, it finally settled down. You might ask, well, why wouldn't the shepherd get down further faster? And the reason why is because if he would try to go after the sheep, then it would actually take off scurrying uh, and oftentimes would even lead to its death because it was chasing after something or in stress, it was going to places that it shouldn't. And so it would lead itself to an imminent death off the side of the cliff. So you might even uh, wonder, well, what had to happen? And that sheep had to come to the end of itself and the shepherd would then lower a rope put it around itself, and then eventually lead the sheep back up to itself. I started thinking about uh, me and possibly even you. How many times in our lives have we had to get to a place where we finally came to the end of ourselves that the Lord would be able to show us who He is and get us to a place in which He can be our shepherd? Last week, we began a series, and today, here on the Wills Point campus, we are going to be uh, diving into verse 2 of this famous passage in Psalm 23, a passage in which David, the king of Israel, wrote at some point in his life as an example of what it looked like for our Heavenly Father to be our chief shepherd, the one who cared for us, who sustained us, and met every provision and every need that we could ever desire. And so as we dive in this morning, if you would take your Bibles and turn uh, to Psalm 23. If you have your Bible with us, uh, with you this morning, then you can actually just take your Bible, divide it in half, and if you're really good, you should land in the book of Psalms. Turn to chapter 23, and we're going to begin reading here in just a few moments. If you don't have a Bible and you're with us this morning, uh, whether you're a first-time guest or maybe you just don't have a good copy of a Bible to read, we would love to bless you with one. You can go to our connection point this morning, and we would love to bless you, not only uh, with t-shirts if you're a first-time guest, but we would also love to bless you with a Bible that you can read every day. Matter of fact, we have another really cool resource I'd love to just tell you about before we dive in this morning, and that is what we call the Stone Point News. The Stone Point News comes out every single Monday uh, to your email, and it gives a recap of the message as well as all the things that are happening here at Stone Point. And so we encourage you to grab a Stone Point News uh, via email. You sign up for it by going to stonepointchurch.com forward slash Stone Point News. Sign up today and you'll get emails 
tomorrow afternoon, and you can begin working through this passage together with us on a weekly basis. And so let's dive in now. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last week, as we began uh, this series, we talked about what it looked like for the Lord to be our shepherd, and for us to lack a desire for anything else, that we would have no other wants. And we think about that. Who else can meet every single need and provision that we have and every desire that we could ever uh, have in our life outside of the one who created us and sustained us? But what we spoke about last week is that Jesus, our chief shepherd, he does what all good shepherds do. He bought us, he purchased us through the ransom of the sacrifice of his son. Uh, God saw fit to rescue us even though we were sinners. He paid for us. And then once he brought us into his family, when he took us home, he marked us. He sealed us with the promise, Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And then he calls us by name. We are here, his. Uh, we are heirs of his family. We are uh, sons and daughters adopted by him into his family. And he is our shepherd. He wants to meet all of our needs. And he desires for us to lie down in green pastures. In verse 2, it says that he... Uh, meaning our Heavenly Father makes us lie down in green pastures and He leads me besides still waters. When we think about that idea, I oftentimes think about a shepherd leading his sheep or his flock to green pastures and to calm, smooth waters. But when you really begin to dive into this, you understand that it's, it's more than just green, lush fields. Because even if you have great fields, you oftentimes still have other things that might be, in a sense, pestering or uh, in some ways bringing challenges to the flock at hand. And so what's interesting in this text is it doesn't say that he leads me to green pastures and still waters, but he says he makes me lie down. When you think about lying down, you have to realize that there's more to shepherding and to tending uh, to the sheep than what you and I might think in the natural realm of reading. And so today, I wanted to show you a handful of things that could prevent a flock from lying down. Even if there is fresh and uh, fertile food around, uh, there are still other things that can, in a sense, affect the herd from being able to enjoy all that the shepherd has for it. And so the very first thing I wanted you to think about is just something that oftentimes, because of the way that sheep are wired, kind of a mob instinct mentality, they do what others do around them. One of the things that affects the flock is this thing called distress. Now, when you think about distress, I want to think in multiple different ways, uh, one of which is just the idea of fear. 
Uh, it's not just a fear from predators at hand, things that could scavenge them and eventually uh, seek them out to, to eat them, uh, to destroy them, to kill them. But anything can actually spook a herd of sheep. Uh, you could just have them uh, tending to themselves and enjoying uh, fer- uh, flush and uh, fertile ground and uh, lush uh, greenery. And then all of a sudden, something like a cat walk out in front of them. And one sheep that is uh, upset by that cat could go scurrying. And when it does, guess what? Everything else around them scurries with it. The entire herd, the flock, is is challenged by what happens right there in front of them. And so here's what I want you to realize is that sheep oftentimes, because of their mass instinct, that mob mentality, they will be affected and they'll all take off running together. Well, the things that bring them distress are things that in sense don't allow them to lie down. When you think about uh, the scattering or the trouble or the fear that they live in, it oftentimes keeps them from being able to enjoy all that their shepherd has from them. But it kind of sounds a little bit familiar to us as well, doesn't it? I mean, you think about one of the reasons that we don't enjoy the presence of our Heavenly Father, and we oftentimes live with fear, anxiety, worry, and stress, is because we refuse to trust Him, though He desires to make us lie down. The Lord desires to establish Himself as the chief priority in our life. He desires for us to know that He is near to Him, but oftentimes it's a thing in the world uh, around us that keep us distracted and from being able to understand what it is that the Lord wants us to be a part of. There are multiple things in our life in this season right now, in this very moment that bring us stress and that keep us under duress and under distress in our life. But maybe we should take comfort and solace in the fact that our good shepherd, the one who created us and the one who wants a relationship with us, also is encouraging us to not live in fear. Consider the following verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he just says, Hey, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Uh, The words there, he says, don't be anxious about anything, meaning don't live under distress in any way, because the Lord is near. He hears your prayers and petitions. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to answer according to his spirit's leadership in your life. And so come near to him. Paul, a guy who was facing imminent danger and death, uh, he writes to his brother Timothy or uh, to a guy who's mentored. He is 30 years older than Timothy and he writes these words just before he dies uh, to encourage Timothy in a season of fear in his own life. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Look there, he goes, I... We need to know that the Lord is our shepherd. He didn't create us to live in fear or under distress. He didn't create us to live in anxiousness or anxiety, but he wants us to be able to lie down. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, uh, David, uh, the same guy who writes Psalm chapter 23, um, talks about how the Lord answers us when we call, that when we call upon him and that he's close to us. In the very last verse of that, he says, In peace I will both lie down and I will sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Uh, David said, the only reason I can be still, the only reason I can quiet myself and have solace in my life is because you are near to me, O Lord, that you are the one who meets my needs. 
In John chapter 14, uh, verse 27, uh, after in verse 26, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go away and the Comforter, the Holy Spirit's going to come and help you. In verse 27, he says this, in peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, uh, do I give it to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus desires that we have peace, that we would turn to him and that that is a, contri- a contributor to us being able to lie down. And so just as a flock of sheep oftentimes lives under uh, distress, we too do the very same thing. But it's interesting that distress is just one of the factors that will keep sheep from being able to lie down. Matter of fact, uh, when we think about that distress, uh, we should know that one of the things that comforts our heart is that the shepherd is near. And so think about that. What is it that we can walk through when we dispel the fear and the panic and the anxiety that oftentimes uh, is brought about by the terror of the unknown? What is it that happens when we just trust our shepherd? Matter of fact, um, Charles uh, Hummel in, the, uh, in this passage called the uh, tyranny of the urgent. He just says something about our heavenly father that's really important. And he says, it's not God who loads us until we bend or break with an ulcer, a heart attack, or a stroke. These largely come from our inner compulsions under the pressure of external demands. At the end of the thing, end of the day, the things that we oftentimes worry about in our life, in the season in which we live in, are the things that produce unhealthiness in us, those are not from the Lord and they're not from our good shepherd. Those are demands that oftentimes are placed in our life and on the flock that are not of the Lord. And we need to pay attention to those. Uh, The second thing that oftentimes though happens is not just distress, but discord. Discord among a flock of sheep is something that is really prevalent. Matter of fact, when you think, about chickens, you think about a pecking order. Uh, when you think about cows, you think about a horning order is what it's called. And then when you think about sheep, uh, you think about this idea of what's called a budding order. And a budding order is just when a ewe lamb, a healthy, large ewe, gets an attitude and she decides that she's going to uh, strut through the herd and she's going to butt anything in her way. Oftentimes, it's such defiance and uh, such arrogance that will move anything in her way. And uh, one sheep will either get out of the way. If not, then they're going to be butted out of the way. Uh, The idea is this, that even in a flock of sheep, there is always the idea of uh, posturing and in some ways um, positioning themselves to have a high archy of needs. There's usually going to be a dominant force that makes himself known. And when you start thinking about the flock, it's oftentimes that there is a, a ewe, a lamb, or a, even a couple of them that want to produce notoriety within the herd in such a way that everything around them knows when they're near. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the flock, I think about how we, as the people of God, oftentimes uh, do things that are similar. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that it happens many cases, even within the local church. There seems to always be a positioning or, a, uh, in a sense, people vying for prominence and prestige and power. 
oftentimes there are people who even attend our local churches just for the sake of positioning themselves in the community with, for business purposes. We know that in the scripture that's called duplicity. But we know that that happens. And it's impossible for God's people to settle down when there are such actions going around. When people are vying for the position and power of themselves within the herd, we know that it's not wise and we know it's also not from the Lord. Matter of fact, we ought to take heed of such warnings. But that same group of sheep, as they jockey and as they position for power and prestige and prominence, when they ram one another in the sense to get in line for the budding order, oftentimes the thing that settles that down within the flock the most is when the shepherd is near. And so you could have one positioning for power, and then when their shepherd comes, they seem to take off their eyes of everything else around them, and they begin to pay attention to the one who cares for them. I think that that's what uh, we need to realize that when you think of passages uh, like Hebrews um, chapter 12, that we should, in a sense, fix our eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith. That's a great idea. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says to the church in Colossae that we should set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. The challenge oftentimes for us in our lives is that we can't lie down because we're in distress with fear and anxiety or worry, or there's even discord among the people around us, whether it be in the local church, in our marriages, in our relationships. The Lord, our God, wants us to live at peace with all men as much as possible, Romans 12. He wants us to be kind and compassionate. He wants us to love one another because that's the mark of his disciple. He wants us as the people of God, a people after his own uh, possession, he wants us to love others well. And he doesn't uh, love it when we are fighting and quarreling with one another. And so we need to think through that. Matter of fact, it recalls a story in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples were posturing for power and position amongst themselves. Uh, in verse 33, uh, 33 and following, it just says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you discussing on the way? Now look at this. I love this about Jesus because of how incredibly intelligent he was. Well, of course, he's God, so he knows all and he hears all. But verse 34 says, But they kept silent. So they didn't want to discuss what they had been talking about along the way. But they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And in verse 35, it says, And Jesus set them down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And he taking, taking them in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus, walking down the road to Capernaum, he he overhears the disciples or he knows in his sovereignty that they are discussing about the pecking order of say, such. Which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Which one of them is going to be the chief disciple? Uh, they are, in a sense, vying for one another's power and prestige and attention. And, and then Jesus goes, hey, listen, I think you need to know something. The way that you order things here on earth is not the way I order things in heaven. And so just know that if you want to be first, that, hey, you're going to be last. But those who are last, who put themselves in the place of a servant, one day they will be exalted and they will be first in my kingdom. 
I don't know about you, but that resonates with me. Oftentimes, I see my selfishness and how it affects relationships around me. And what would it look like if we just allowed the Lord of heaven and earth to reorder the way we think about things that are happening around us? Because a lot of us are vying for power and prestige, or others of us, I mean, we're just ramming people in our way, and we produce fights and quarrels. It reminds me of James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, uh, which James, the half-brother of Jesus, asks a question. Hey, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. The idea of there is, you know, man, in our selfishness, we are prone to do something foolish. We are prone to uh, ram other people out of the way. We are prone to be selfish in our ambitions. We are prone to not consider others above uh, ourselves, Philippians 2. We are prone to be foolish in the way we treat other people. And our selfishness doesn't just uh, make us say uh, ugly words. It doesn't just make us do uh, foolish things, but oftentimes it can even lead us to things like murder or coveting. We would, in a sense, affect everything around us just to meet our own need. And listen, what we need to know is our good shepherd will never ever lead us to a place that is selfish. And moreover, we will not be content and we will not be able to lie down if there is discord amongst our lives all the time. Matter of fact, in James 4 verse 10, uh, you should just see what it says. The, the contrasting view of selfishness is humility. And in verse 10, it says, And humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Hey, you want to be a servant? You want to be first in the kingdom of God? Lower yourself. Die to your selfish desires every day. Walk on the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of your flesh. And the Lord will use you mightily. So don't fear. Don't allow um, things, in a sense, to bring distress in your life. And hey, don't have fits of discord either. But more than that, it's not just fits of discord and uh, also... Um, challenges like that, but sometimes it is also just displeasure and disease. Um, oftentimes in a herd, you don't just have um, challenges in the ranks and you don't just have fear of attacks, but you also have um, just, just parasites and you have um, just things that are nagging. Uh, these are just things that oftentimes you don't think about, but in a herd, it's just parasites. It's, it's bugs and it's flies. And oftentimes is the very thing that prevents sheep from being able to lay down. Uh, here it is. They have great uh, fertile grass. They have acreage all around them. They are free of worry and distress. Uh, they are free of discord, but there are flies and parasites everywhere, and they just won't leave them alone. They just continue to nag. And listen, if a faithful shepherd is not diligently making sure that the parasites are taken care of, then what you will have is a flock that will not settle down. And so oftentimes what a shepherd will do is simply uh, mix up some chemicals and they will spray uh, or they will treat their flock in a way that allows the pestilence and the parasites to be ridded of. They're, they're gone away. And oftentimes we need to know that our Heavenly Father cares about the pestilence around us, that He wants us to be free of displeasure and disease. 
Matter of fact, um, we know that in this life, we are going to have some of those things, those things that just nag us. In a sense, you could think the thorn in your flesh, like Paul was talking about. Uh, you could also think about uh, what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33. He just says, hey, um, there are going to be challenges. Or in some scriptures, it will say the tribulations in this life. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. The idea is that we are not free from challenges in this life. Now get this, there are some people uh, that in their, their theology would say, well, hey, because you've trusted Jesus that you are free from fear, anxiety, worry, distress, and you're free from all the little pestilent things that happen in our life. Like you don't need to worry about sick, being sick because if you have faith, you can overcome those things. And listen, I think that's contrary to the scripture. Matter of fact, what we need to know is that in this life, we will have trouble. But we have a shepherd who desires to meet our needs and grow us in the midst of such trouble. It reminds me of James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, James uh, has the wisdom to say this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In order for us to lack nothing and to know that we are complete, oftentimes we have to face adversity. We have to have challenges. We have to have parasites and pestilence in our way because it reminds us the shepherd is near and that he is attentive to all of our needs. And he wants us to lie down and to trust him. But oftentimes we have to work through some of the adversity to consider it pure joy. And as we know that he is with us, he takes those challenges and he produces in us faith and steadfastness to trust him. And that's the goal. And here's the deal. If you can get a flock to um, settle down from distress and worry and fear and anxiety, uh, you can help them through their discord. You can help them through some of the displeasure and the disease in their camp. You can then work with this idea of just deprivation. For a lot of flocks, uh, the reason that they can't settle down is because they're just deprived of really good um, pasture. Uh, and oftentimes in the day and age of the Bible, when you think about a shepherd, uh, they had to work diligently to provide their flock luscious, good greenery. In order for their flock to have something in a dry climate, it meant that they had to work hard at it. Matter of fact, the dry climate oftentimes prevented some of the flies and some of the pestilence that would bother sheep in our culture, in our day and age, in the place where we live. But what we need to know there in the Middle East, in a dry climate, some of those things didn't exist. But one of the things that did was the ability to have fertile soil. And so if you think about it, a shepherd had to be diligent in the task of making a sh uh, a place where sheep could lie down. And it was in a pasture that was lush and green. And so they had to diligently work to lead their sheep to places and also sow seeds that would produce the type of uh, fruitfulness that would be a blessing to the flock. And so I want you to realize that when you think about this idea, you should also think about what it is that the Lord wants to provide for us. He wants us to live in fertile places. He wants us, as he says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says as one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, he says, hey, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He wants us to desire 
good pasture. He wants us to lie down and to be free of distress and discord and some of the challenges of uh, deprivation and disease and all those things so that we might know who he is. Uh, W. Philip Keller says this in a quote that's fantastic. He says, how he works to clear the life of rocks of stony unbelief, he being God, how he tries to tear out the roots of bitterness in our life. He attempts to break up the hard, proud human heart that is set like sun-dried clay. He then sows the seed of his own precious word, which is given half a chance to grow, will produce rich crops of contentment and peace. He waters this with the dews and the rain of his own presence by the Holy Spirit. And he tends and he cares and he cultivates a life longing to see it become rich and green and productive. My friends, the Lord desires for us as the people of God to lie down, to be free from distress, discord, to be free from the displeasure and the diseases uh, that oftentimes knock us off path. And he wants us to never be deprived, that we should have all we need, that if we will come and we will eat of what he has to offer, that we will never hunger, that we could obtain the righteousness that he desires for us. And that is the goal. But the latter part of verse two says he, he wants to make us lie down in green pastures, but then he leads me beside still waters. So listen, if you can get sheep to lie down in green pasture, then your next task as a shepherd, a sheep man, is to be able to get them to go to a place in which they enjoy deep, luscious, blue water. Now listen, if you are reminded of sheep, not only do they have a mob instinct mentality, but they're also just foolish. And so oftentimes what that means is, is they'll chase after things that are not luscious and, and in a sense that produce um, something deep uh, that produces satisfaction in themselves. And so it's not uncommon that a sheep might actually choose to go after something murky or something dark. They might even find just a very shallow pool of water, just a mud hole of sorts, and they might lap it up. The challenge is, is that uh, when they do such things, they're not thinking about some of the things that have stagnated in those waters. They're not thinking about uh, the temporary satisfaction because a few short days later, uh, their stomachs will have then be overtaken by a parasite in which as they were drinking that murky water, they didn't think about some of those type of things the nematodes and other things in that water. And so what happens is, is that it will take them a few days, but they realize that what they have gone after is not the deep, refreshing waters that satisfy. Matter of fact, I think we oftentimes are challenged in that way as well, that we have a delayed reaction because we don't search after the things the Lord wants us to have. We oftentimes settle for some of the things in this world. We oftentimes settle for things that, uh, do not uh, honor the Lord. And, and honestly, they not only quench the Spirit of God, but we find ourselves parched and quenched as well because the world does not satisfy. Yes, it entices us. Oftentimes, it ensnares us. It'll oftentimes lead us to places that we don't want to go. That's what sin does. Sin leads us to a place in which there is not refreshment and there is not fulfilling. And though we might, in a sense, get the picture of those things for just a temporary while. We'll get satisfaction for a moment. What we know 
is that our sin will lead us to death. That it will destroy us, that it will hurt us. And while there is, uh, in a sense, a pleasure for a moment, it tastes good at first glance. We know that sin will ruin and wreck our lives. Matter of fact, when you think about James, the guy who I've referred to several times today, he gives us incredible amount of wisdom in James chapter 1. And when you look at verses 13 through 15, James said that we should never think about our good shepherd as the one who leads us to murky waters. He's never going to lead us to stagnant pools that have things that will lead to parasites in our life. Matter of fact, our good shepherd always leads us to goodness. So James says it this way, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? Because our good shepherd doesn't take us to places that don't don't satisfy. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, the murky waters around us, they appeal to us for a temporary moment, but they will not satisfy. Instead, what they do is they birth in us something that is conceiving sinfulness. And when that happens, it lures us, conceives in us, and leads us to death. Places we don't want to go. And so oftentimes we think about sin And we forget that it'll oftentimes cost us more than we want to pay. And it'll do more to us than we ever really know. And so we need to think through it in this way. But instead, Jesus says that those who look to him as the chief shepherd, he says it this way in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I will be the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the thing that oftentimes we don't know about sheep is that when they're looking for murky water, it's because they haven't been satisfied on a daily basis. If you were to Google it or look it up, you could find that a herd of sheep can oftentimes go many days without water. Uh, Many days meaning up to 10 days without having deep water to drink of. And the reason why is because oftentimes in cultures where sheep are raised, they get the nutrients from the lush greener they eat, and they also are satisfied by the dew that falls uh, in the evening and is there in the morning. And so as sheep go out into the pasture, oftentimes all the water they need, which makes up 70% of their body content, is there for them as they enjoy the green pasture. So think about that. Jesus says he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us to still waters. The idea is that we can be satisfied in him as we meet with him in the morning. It reminds me of Psalm 133. And uh, Psalm 133, um, talking about a song of ascent from David. David writes about what it looks like for there not to be discord in our life and for us to dwell in unity But then he references in verse 3 a mountain called Mount Ermon. And this is what he says. It is like the dew of Ermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And Mount Ermon was a place in which the dew would would settle on it and it would bring refreshing. Uh, Some people would say that there was so much dew that would fall in that area in the night that 
people would wake up from their tents in the morning and it would look as rain had fallen all night. It was a, a picture and a symbol of refreshing. It was a picture that God had blessed the people. And that was a, a constant in that culture. And so sheep could go out and they could eat in the mornings and they would be satisfied not only with food that allowed them to lie down because of their shepherd's provision, but oftentimes they would have all the nutrients and the water they needed in the morning. And I don't know about you, but I think the Lord desires most of all for us to be content in him, to be deeply satisfied and refreshed, that we would know that he desires for us to lie down, that we would enjoy the great harvest that he has for us and that we would also drink deeply of the Lord. And one of the ways we do that best is when we realize the Lord's mercies are new every morning and we would take time to allow our souls to be satisfied. And we do that best when we get up just like a flock of sheep and go to green pastures and still waters We do it best when we get up early in the morning and we go to a quiet, withdrawn place and we open and we study the Word of God and we begin to allow it to make itself alive in us, that the Spirit would lead us to places of refreshment and fulfillment and that we would know that the Lord is enough for us. And so I would just challenge you today that you would leave from this place and that you would contemplate being able to say The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still or quiet waters. Where's the quiet place that the Lord wants to meet and satisfy your deepest needs? Friends, don't put that off because of the distress, the discord, some of the disease and some of the other uh, disturbing things in your life and certainly not claiming the fact that you um, don't have enough to eat on because the Lord is sufficient. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our time in your word. I pray that we would heed the words that you have given us through your word, that God, that you would help us to realize that you are the bread of life, And that you, Lord, want to fully satisfy and refresh us. That it is the desire of our master to see us content and quiet at rest. That we would be relaxed in you. That we would delight to be free from some of the hunger and the cravings of this world. That we wouldn't allow the torment and the pestilence uh, around us to knock us off track. And that we would be free of turmoil with other people and fear and trouble and anxiousness created by the things in this life. God, help us to lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still, quiet waters. Help us. We need you every hour. In Jesus' name, amen.